Well, as I said earlier, we are ending our series, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, based on this enlightening book, if you have not read it already, by author John Mark Comer. It's a wonderful book. I highly suggest you read every page of it. Over the past month, as we've gone through this worship series, we've been inspired to find opportunities to practice stillness and silence, to fully participate in the Sabbath, and to live our lives with simplicity. All this in an attempt to reap the benefits of these opportunity, opportunities, and as the book encourages us to ruthlessly eliminate the insidious rule of hurry upon our lives. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Todd, in his sermon in the sanctuary, reminded us of a blessed date in our collective Texas sports history, May 1st, 1991. Anyone know what happened May 1st, 1991? No? You, yeah? May 1st, 1991, that was the date that Texas Ranger Nolan Ryan pitched his seventh, his seventh no-hitter at a home game against the Toronto Blue Jays. Todd talked about how he was in attendance that night in the packed house at Arlington Stadium where the excitement grew and grew as the innings went on, especially in the seventh as it began to look like a no-hitter was in sight. And Todd asked during his sermon if any of us in the congregation had been at that monumental, magical game. And so many raised their hands. Yeah, some people in here might have been at that game. I was at that game. So I raised my hand. I was at that game with my grandfather, who was my fellow die-hard Texas Ranger fan. I remember that night how awesome it was to watch Nolan Ryan on the mound, the excitement that was building as the innings went on. And Nolan struck out batter after batter. But what I remember most about that night, May 1st, 1991, is this. At the end of the seventh inning, as the word was getting out that Nolan was going to make history, fans from all over Tarrant County started gathering at the ballpark, taking advantage of the fact that at that time you could get into the game for free after the fifth inning. So as the crowd grew and the energy increased, as we all began to realize that a no-hitter was in sight, my grandfather and I, the diehard Texas Ranger fans that we were, made our way to the exit. We left before the game was over. See, my grandfather listened to uh, the ball game on his little pocket transistor radio with an earbud in one ear as he was sitting in the stands at every game. And as he was listening to this game, the radio broadcasters began to discuss what a monumental night this was shaping up to be and how all of Tarrant County was rushing to get into the stadium and witness history. And as the seats around us filled up and the whole stadium, you could feel the buzz. We could see that a no-hitter was indeed on the horizon. But here's what my grandfather was thinking about. My grandfather was thinking about not the impending no-hitter, but the traffic we would encounter as we tried to get out of the parking lot after the game. So we left to avoid traffic. 
We hurried home, listening to the whole thing unfold with Eric Nadell and Mark Holtz on KRLD over a tinny little factory-installed radio in my grandfather's two-door Datsun. We sped out of there so fast, we beat all the traffic. I think we were the only people on the road going the direction we were going. We made record time to get home. Why? Because all the traffic in Tarrant County was going the opposite direction. They were trying to get to the stadium to witness history. My grandfather and I let hurry get the best of us. Now, I love my grandfather dearly. He passed away many years ago. But I often wonder, I wonder what it was like to be there in person. What if, I wonder, what if we had just slowed down, taken a breath, taken a moment, and allowed ourselves to realize the potential momentous occasion that was about to happen for our favorite pitcher and our beloved Texas Rangers? What if we had allowed ourselves not to get caught up in hurry and instead let ourselves get caught up in the enthusiasm and the energy of the crowd? What a celebration we could have been a part of. What if we had slowed down and not let hurry get the best of us? Hurry has a way of doing that, getting the best of us. It did back in 1991. It still does today, maybe even more so. Hurry has a way of robbing us of fully experiencing all life has to offer. Hurry has an insidious way of forcing us to make knee-jerk decisions in the moment, to only find ourselves second-guessing those decisions when we look back in the harsh light of hindsight. That's why we must seek to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. And our author, John Mark Comer, says to do that, we must counteract our desire to hurry through life with a practice he calls slowing. Slowing is simply slowing down our bodies, slowing down our minds, slowing down our lives. And I know what you're thinking, because I thought the same thing when I read this. The practice of slowing is completely counterintuitive to everything I have and maybe you have been taught about how to function in the world around us. The practice of slowing is completely opposite of what I've read and heard about how to succeed and survive in our fast-paced, push-button, lightning-fast world. But, Comer writes, to live a life of authentic faith, we must slow down and let our values align with our practices. If we value a life lived following the way of Jesus, a life of growing maturity towards fully realized love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, then our schedules and our practices must align with those values. In other words, if we want to live a life like Jesus, a life that takes silence, solitude, Sabbath, and simplicity seriously. We must let go of our desires to hurry from one place, one thing, one moment to another, and embrace something slower. When we practice slowing, we take ourselves out of the lead, 
and place ourselves in the stance of a follower, a follower of Jesus Christ. As pastor and author John Ortberg writes, following Jesus cannot be done at a sprint. If we want to follow someone, he says, we can't go faster than the one leading. We see a perfect example of the practice of slowing in our scripture today, which comes from the book of James, chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Now, these two verses from the letter attributed to James, someone who was close to Jesus himself, provide us with a rich metaphor and an image to think about as we consider slowing. So let's take a moment and read these verses for ourselves. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 8. The author says, Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You must also be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. In these passages, we read about a metaphorical farmer who grows a precious crop. In the planting and the growing of his crop, the farmer demonstrates patience and the value of slowing. The early and late rains, for example, mentioned here, are vital to the growth of his successful crop. The early rains of fall soften the soil, signaling that it's time for the farmer to plow his land and to plant his crop. And then that rain, essential for the farmer to grow the crop he's planted, continues to fall throughout the winter, nourishing and helping his crop grow. And then the late rains arrive and stay throughout spring, ripening the crops to prepare them for harvesting during the dry summer months. The farmer's adherence to and trust in this season, this cycle is crucial for the crop's success. Because if he hurries and pushes the planting or the ripening or the harvesting of the crop before it's time, before the rain can really help it take root and grow, it would be catastrophic. The farmer could go bankrupt by losing his entire crop. It's the same way with our lives. If we push and push and hurry and hurry and push ourselves too hard going against the grain of the universe, not adhering to the necessary seasons and cycles of life, hurrying and speeding through life, we will end up burnt out and bankrupt emotionally, physically, mentally, and spiritually. We must, like the farmer, tune our lives to the practice of slowing, of aligning our schedules with God's unforced rhythms of grace. We must faithfully trust in God's timing so that we, or what we are seeking to accomplish through our lives, can have the time to be softened and prepared, nurtured and grown, ripened and harvested successfully. Again, I sense the pushback on this proposal because I had the same reaction. We're thinking to ourselves, as I did when I read this, how will we get anything done if we slow everything down? 
I'm right there with you. Case in point, my wife Joy and I, we listen to the same podcast every week. This podcast typically lasts about an hour. And it's both entertaining and intriguing, making us eager to listen to it as new episodes come out every Monday. But here's the difference. I set the speed I listen to this podcast at twice the normal speed so that I can listen to what would generally be an hour-long podcast in about 20 to 25 minutes. The average amount of time my morning commute takes from my home in Roanoke to here in South Lake to White's Chapel. Now, by doing this, I figure I could have the entire episode listened to by the end of the day Monday. I mean, you see the brilliance of my efficiency, right? Makes complete sense. Joy, however, prefers to listen to this podcast at its intended pace, letting the moments linger and appreciating all the pregnant pauses and careful transitions between thoughts. I must admit, it's a little like listening to the chipmunks do a podcast because the octave of the host's voice gets higher and higher and higher as the pace quickens. But I justify my speeding of the podcast with the rationale that I can get it done. I can get it out of the way. Having listened to so I can listen to all the other things I want to listen to the rest of the week. And I believe myself the model of efficiency. But the reality is, as scientists and researchers have found time and time again through numerous studies, there is in fact no direct correlation between hurry and productivity. So in fact, I am duping myself and robbing myself of the joy of listening to the nuances and the stories shared within this podcast. Now, when I talk about slowing our pace, I am not talking about dragging our feet or being chronically late. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm not giving anyone in here an excuse for tardiness or laziness or chronic lateness, right? And some of you don't need that pass anyway. You're already doing it. You're already practicing it. I'm one of those people. But I'm not talking about adopting a practice that discounts or blows through due dates or timelines or inconveniences others with our delay. What I'm talking about and what the book is talking about is an intentional restructuring or structuring of our schedules, allowing to us to meet our needs and the needs of others that depend on us while moving at a pace that doesn't feel forced or hurried. Slowing takes intention. It's true. But when it's practiced, we will find that the choice to slow down is so worth it. Because when we slow ourselves, our pace and our schedules, we allow ourselves the opportunity to behold, to behold what is going on around us, what God is accomplishing in our midst, what God is accomplishing in the world around us and in our individual lives. When we slow down, we can savor the subtleties, we can sit with things and ponder them, allowing them to really marinate and enrich our lives. When we practice slowing, we behold how 
God's fingerprints are on the pages of our lives and all over the works of his creation. My family and I were blessed to take a trip to the Grand Canyon about two years ago. Anybody been to the Grand Canyon before? All right. I see some some fellow canyoners. We made it into Arizona in the early evening, and by sheer luck, I mean sheer luck, Joy found a room in one of the lodges right on the south rim of the canyon. We had not booked a room until we got there. But by the time we rolled into the park to check into our room, it was nighttime. And so our view of the Grand Canyon was literally a vast, open, pitch black expanse. We couldn't see anything. So we headed to our room, road weary, ready to get some rest, not knowing what the next day would hold. The following morning, we all woke early, just before the sunrise, and getting ready for the day. I'll be honest, I was worried. I was worried that scheduling an entire day at the Grand Canyon might have been a huge mistake. Because after all, what are you going to do for a full day at the Grand Canyon? This thought was swirling around in my head as we walked out of our room and we rounded the corner of the lodge towards the canyon. And there, before us, was a magnificent sight, a sight I will never forget. The sun was rising on the canyon, casting light ever so slowly along its seemingly endless nooks and crannies. It was painting the sky and the rock faces with brilliant blues and pinks and reds. It was frozen. I stood there in awesome wonder for what seemed like hours as the sun slowly crept up the sky. In reality, it was only a few minutes. But my eyes were locked on beholding the majesty and the grandeur and the beauty that was before me. I felt God in that moment lovingly put his hand on my shoulder to slow me down and truly behold what he had created. My family and I spent the entire day slowly meandering along the rim. And when we got to the place where we thought the buses would be waiting for us to take us back to the lodge, we found that those buses were in fact not running that day. So we got a little bonus time. We walked the two mile trek back to our lodge. And as we did, as we enjoyed a long, leisurely, lovely hike through the woods along the canyon back to our lodge, I thought, I'm so glad, I'm so glad that we had carved out the entire day to see it. And we drove away, in fact, I found myself wanting to stay longer, to see more. This is what happens when we build in opportunities to slow our pace, when we reorient the frenetic, unruly speed of our lives to the slow, deliberate speed of God. We get a chance to behold how God is at work We get to fully experience the wonders wrought by his own hands and bear witness to what he is weaving together in our midst. Another thing we must consider when we consider slowing ourselves 
is that we should place our schedules in God's hands and put our trust in his timeline and pace. That's what slowing is all about. Ecclesiastes 3 reminds us, in God's timeline, everything has a season and there is a time for every matter under heaven. So when we slow down, we become beholden to God's timing. I love what theologian Kasuki Koyama writes about this very subject, noting that the average human being, I say average, walks at a pace of three miles an hour. Do you know that? Three miles an hour. And in his brilliant writing, Koyama contends that we worship a three mile an hour God. Not a God that matches our pace, but a God that sets our pace so that we, who are created in God's image, can follow after him. He writes this, love has its speed. It is an inner speed. It is a spiritual speed. It is a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It is slow, but it is Lord over all the other speeds since it is the speed of love. It goes on in the depth of our life, whether we notice it or not, at three miles an hour. It is the speed we walk, and therefore it is the speed the love of God walks. Becoming beholden to God's timing gives us a sense of the bigger picture of what God is up to and how God's kingdom plan can unfold before us. We're celebrating Pentecost this weekend, and I want you to think about this. Think about the apostles gathered together in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. They're waiting around 50 days after the events of Jesus' death and resurrection. They're worried. They're huddled together. They're, they're gathered in secret, waiting and wondering what would become of them. And this wait must have seemed like an eternity, waiting on the promised Holy Spirit for a prompting of what they were to accomplish next. And then we're told suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind filling the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire, scripture tells us, appeared among them and a tongue of flame rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages and the Spirit gave them that ability on Pentecost, that day, the gospel was shared without the barriers of language to stop it, and the church of Jesus Christ was born. And here we are, 2,000 years later, and the kingdom work of God continues, the harvest continues, the gospel continues to be shared, lives continue to be changed, and we still faithfully await the Lord's return not beholden to our timing, because imagine what we could have done in 2,000 years, but beholden to God's timing. We all remember that beloved Sunday school song we learned as kids. It's probably one of the first songs you learned. He's got the whole world in his hands. Y'all remember that one? He's got the whole world in his hands. Yeah. You remember it. He's got the wind and the rain in his hands. He's got the itty bitty babies in his hands. He's got everybody here in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Y'all remember that? 
I love that song. It's so simple, but it gives us such a great image. That image of God holding us, each and every one of us, literally in his hands. It is such a comforting image, knowing that we are held by the one who creates us, who redeems us, and who sustains us. And it's what we need to think about when we think about the practice of slowing. Because when we slow down our bodies and our minds and our lives and reorient our timing to God's timing and God's pace, we can be held by the very hands of God. But I'll be honest with you, we are really hard to hold on to when we're moving at the breakneck speed of the world around us. We bristle and we bustle. We try to break free from God's loving embrace at every opportunity when we let hurry dictate how we live. So we must slow ourselves and allow ourselves to be held in his hands. And when we do, we can find that we feel confident in our place there feel confident in the unconditional care, support, and love we, his beloved, find there. This is what a life of faith in God, a life of faith in Jesus Christ is all about. It's not about hurry and speeding through life at a breakneck speed only to come out the other side exhausted and burnt out. It's about slowing ourselves allowing God to be in control and allowing God to lead us through whatever he has in store for us. In the end, as our scripture from James reminds us, it's not if we wait, it's how we wait. So I close our time together with this question, how will we wait? How will we wait? Will we hurry for the exit in the seventh inning of a no-hitter so we can avoid all the traffic on the way home? Will we pack our schedule so tight that we can't possibly slow down and behold the wonders that God has in store for us? Or will we do all we can to ruthlessly eliminate the needless, pointless hurry in our lives? Will we slow ourselves to match God's pace, giving God all glory honor and praise by trusting in his timing, by tuning our hearts to sing of his love and grace? Will we, through the way we live our lives, invite ourselves and others to faithfully wait in the careful, loving presence of God in his very hands? My prayer for all of us, my prayer for myself, is that we can practice slowing and choose to behold what God is up to. Be beholden to God's timing and pace and find true peace and real comfort by allowing ourselves to be held in the very palm of God's hand. Let us pray. Eternal, gracious, and good Father. So much of our daily lives are filled with hurry, worry, and stress. We fail to see the bigger picture. 
We fail to trust in your goodness. Fail to walk at your slow, deliberate, careful pace. Free us from hurry. Allow us to ruthlessly eliminate it from our lives by walking at your pace, trusting in your timing, and allowing your plan to guide us. We want to walk in the way of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. For in his life we sense and see an unforced rhythm of grace, an intimate connection with you, a willingness to follow where you lead, and to treat each and every person as a beloved child of yours. So we ask you to help our values align with our patterns and our practices. We ask you to align our faith with your will and not our own. We ask you to help us lead authentically, honestly, free from anything that would keep us from the experience and the fullness of what you promised to us through Christ. God, we need you. We need you each and every day and each and every moment. We need to acknowledge how you are at work in the world around us. We needed to see your fingerprints on the pages of our lives, especially when the stories of our lives seem completely out of control. So God, open our hearts, our eyes, our minds, and our souls. Conform them to your sight, to your love, to your thoughts and your will. We cannot do life without you, not on this side of eternity and not on the next. So slow us down, guide our steps, so that as we follow after you, we find abundant life in this world and eternal life in the next. We lift all this and pray all of this to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.